Welcome everyone to season 10 of Be Her Talk with Selena Hill, an award-winning talk show that adds a taste of hip hop, AOC, and spice to unflavored news. Each Sunday, I'll be discussing race, politics, and culture from an unapologetic millennial perspective, and we give you the opportunity to be heard. So leave your comments on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook and I will read them throughout this show. And now I am super excited to be here with you all today to discuss everything from the biggest stories of the week, like the police killing of 13-year-old Adam Toledo, to the passing of New York rapper Black Rob, to the end of J-Lo and A-Rod. Now, later on in the show, we'll unpack the murder of Dante Wright and the next steps in the fight for police reform with our featured guest, Paige Ingram, who is a Brooklyn Center-based organizer. Please support Be Her Talk by buying us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash beherdtalk. Your support and through a small donation will help us to continue to support and amplify the issues that you care about. Now, without further ado, we're going to kick things off with the Be Her Talk correspondence of today, starting with Karina Cabeja, a morning show host on the new hot 93.3 in Dallas, Texas. How's it going, Karina? Hey, boo. I'm so excited to be here with you. Thank you. I'm honored not only to be a correspondent, but a friend of the show officially. So thank you for having me. We are super excited just to have you as well, Karina. And we're also joined by Evan Masternardi, who is the co-founder of Let's Not Be Trash. He is also a Brooklyn, ooh, ooh, hold, I'm sorry, Evan, a Bronx organizer. Oh, yeah. NYC. Yeah, don't mix up the X and the K now, Selena. Come on Woo! now. should know that by <laughs> now. That? Thank you. That? Karina, Selena, Great to be here. Always happy to be on Be Heard. And yes, everyone, thanks for the support. Please follow Let's Not Be Trash. We try to support multidimensional, uh, anti-sexist, uh, just better men as a whole. So okay. feel free to support our page. Absolutely. So I'm seeing Chicago in the building. I'm seeing a, a lot of love in the comments already. Keep the comments coming and the love coming. We will definitely, you know, share those comments throughout the show. But without further ado, I'm going to throw things over to my girl, Karina, to kick off the news roundup. All righty then. Okay, so we're going to start off, unfortunately, with some sadder news. Um, that's now seeming all too familiar surrounding the death of 13-year-old Adam Toledo by Chicago police. On Thursday, a video was released of a Chicago police officer, 34-year-old Eric Stillman, fatally shooting a seventh grader. Okay, let that sink in. Apparently, he was responding to a call about gunshots being fired in that area at around 2.30 in the morning. Um, and then we see the graphic footage of the officer chasing the boy down an alley who took off running. Um, he's asked to stop, turn around, and raise his hands. Take a look. Seems as though the, the footage is frozen, but you know, I, I think it's better that we avoid seeing it because it's so graphic. Yeah. Um, and, and honestly, it's visceral. You get a visceral response when you see 
Um, everything happening so quickly. The boy complies, raises both his hands, and immediately, within a millisecond, he shot fatally. Um, the person who was actually responsible for the gunshots that were fired in the area was his 21-year-old friend, who has since been charged and arrested. Uh, there was a gun near Toledo, but at the time, he turned around and both his hands were raised. And I'm repeating that because I just want to emphasize the fact that he did comply. And his mom is obviously devastated, asking why they didn't shoot him, maybe in the leg, in the arm. Why did they have to shoot to kill? My thing is, why even shoot him at all, period? Right. Uh, since then, there have been protests in the streets of Chicago and the president of the Chicago Police Union says the officer was 100 percent justified because this all happened in a split second and he had no time to determine whether the weapon was still in, in his hands or not. He continued by saying the officer does not have to wait to be shot to fire his weapon. He would have been justified even if he would have shot multiple times. Selena, Evan, what is your response to this outrageous statement? First off, this young man, this young boy was 13 years old, right? This is a life that was lost. And I understand the dynamics of this case. Obviously, he was running. He did comply. Um, I am reading reports that he was armed. But I think that this goes deeper into just police and community relations regardless and the way that they're constantly interacting. Because we've seen, I, I've seen, and I know we've all seen how many videos of white armed people either attacking police, either have a gun or have some type of weapon, and they, they're never shot. They're, they don't die, right? Like police don't kill them. Um, they always try to talk them, talk with them or try to, you know, get them to disarm using verbal commands. I just, the, the discrepancy here and the difference here is the disproportionate amount of black and brown people being shot and killed by police. That's the issue that we have because there's a, a stark difference with how they treat uh, people in the white community. Sure, Evan? Yeah, I'm completely with Selena. How many times have we seen uh, perpetrators of these mass shootings with the gun in their hand mm -hmm. or taking their, their time to put this gun down and all of a sudden they got the police got all the patience in the world. But this guy, this, this, I shouldn't even say this child has his hands up. That's what I don't understand. But this it's not surprising me that the police union leader is saying this, but since since when is having your hands up a way to shoot a gun? <laughs> That's not I, I, I just we didn't see the video, but I saw the picture. I didn't I don't want to see the video personally, but you can't shoot a gun with your hands up. Right. It doesn't now even make sense. I will say it did happen in like a split second. The kid turns around and bam, he shoots. The other thing is, the other issue is piggybacking off of what you and Selena were saying, because I agree with you 100%, is that there is no foot pursuit policy in place uh, with the Chicago Police Department. So instead of having a policy together where they're guiding officers on what to do when they're in a chase, uh, the officers are left to their own volition, where they have to decide what to do in the heat of the moment. And nine times out of 10, this is what happens, specifically with people of color, because the subconscious racial bias is at hand, and that's the driving force in what happens here. And so it's unfortunate. Our babies are being killed constantly. I'm a mom. Like, this story destroyed yeah. me. Um, and, and can I add that the officer who shot at him and killed him has been, um, he actually has four use of force reports against yeah. him and three complaints that were filed against him since 2017, but none resulted in discipline. So again, these officers that are, are trigger happy 
are patrolling our communities, over surveilling them, and it's resulting in a disproportionate a number of people in our communities being shot and killed. Absolutely, couldn't agree more. And then in other eerie and ridiculous news, Jonathan Petlin, a sergeant in our US Army, uh, was caught on video harassing a young black man in South Carolina for, get this, walking in his neighborhood. I mean, just gingerly strolling by. Take a look, here's how it went down. I didn't hit you. There's a difference between pushing you. You're aggressive on the neighborhood. Someone came running. You better walk away. You walk away. You talking to my wife right now? That's your wife. Walk away. Walk away. Check it out. You either walk away or I'm gonna carry your ass out of here. What do you want to do? You better not touch. Or what? What are you gonna do? You up on me. Let's go. Walk away. I've been doing anything. I'm about to do something to you. You better start walking. You better start walking right now. You come after me like that? I ain't coming after you. You're in the wrong neighborhood, mother. Yeah. You're in, in the wrong neighborhood, mother effer. Now, we don't see this in the footage, but Pellin slaps the young man's phone out of his hand. This is a grown-ass man coming at a young man who's just walking down the street. I mean, this is just appalling. Can't even walk down the street comfortably anymore without a white person making you either feel inferior or worse, like you don't even belong or right, just based on the color of your uh, Pellin has since been charged with third-degree assault and battery and has been released from jail on a $2,000 bond. In a statement, Fort Jackson Commander Milford Beagle said, soldier conduct on and off duty must be exemplary to retain the trust of our communities and our nation. He's since been relieved of his army duties as well. Selena, how did watching that video make you feel? Do you think that the consequences were enough to match the harassment that this child faced just for walking down the street? It, I had a visceral reaction to it. I think that you know, the racial undertones or overtones could not be more explicit. You don't belong in this neighborhood and saying stuff like that. Again, there's a history we have here in America where, you know, black people and black families were redlined against, you know, into uh, from moving into certain predominantly white neighborhoods. So when we hear this type of sentiment, it's reflective of that. And mm -hmm. also the fact that when black families did move into predominantly white neighborhoods, how they were harassed, how they had to deal with the KKK. So so again, that that's what I'm thinking as soon as I saw this white man in this young black teenager's face. Now there have been conflicting reports about what led up to the confrontation. But again, no one deserves to be assaulted. And that drill sergeant, he's not the police, okay? He does not He does not have the right to put his hands on anyone or to tell someone you don't belong in this neighborhood. If he was stopping or crying in action, that's different. That's not what's happening here, or at least from what we saw. And also there is no evidence about what built what, what built up to the confrontation. So I just wanted to address that because I know we're hearing a lot of conflicting reports on, on both sides. Right, I mean, you know, it's, uh, ultimately it doesn't matter. This is a grown ass man harassing a young child who seems to actually be maintaining his cool throughout this conversation or this altercation rather. Uh, and it's scary because, you know, while he was fired and called out, how many other kids are in fear for to just walk down the street as a result of this? Why is this still a thing in 2021? What will it take to make a shift? And I know that that's a grand question in the in the in the scheme of things, but Evan, how do you feel? Like, what do you think it's going to take? I mean, it does not surprise me at all. I mean, 
the way he talked about, he says, I know everybody in this community. This is a tight knit community. He feels like he's the president of that little neighborhood. So he feels like he could get away with anything. I mean, there's a lot of emboldened, angry white men out there who pretty much feel like they are, you know, judge, jury, and, and in many cases, like even terribly executioner of their own little fiefdom, of their own little area. There's an article, I forgot who wrote it, but it was just a good point. It was like, how far away is the average white man from a police officer? <laughs> like, how far away are these two things? And to bring what you brought up earlier, he's not the police. Well, a lot of people think they're like only a step away from being the police. So I, I think that's the mentality. Unfortunately, especially if you're a white man. Um, it seems to be the, that seems to be the behavior that keeps perpetuating. Yeah, and to Evan's point, we actually have a comment from Angie Morgan, who left a comment via Twitter, who says, "Whites have too much privilege over another culture. Where do they learn that? No one owns the street." To Evan's point about again that white privilege and authority that that they display because of white supremacy. I know um, we had some other comments. One from a LinkedIn user left a comment as well via LinkedIn. I don't know if we could pull that one. There it goes. So uh, LinkedIn says they need to get locked up and let these people face what they need to deal with. And then lastly, mm-hmm. Alina left a comment as well. Alina says, I need to know what that, why that grown man was so full of anger. Again, Alina, to me, if you ask me that question, it's because because of white supremacy and because of white privilege, a lot of we see that reflective in a lot of people, especially white men who have this chip on their shoulder and any little threat to their way of life and to their mm-hmm. dominance results in that type of anger and that type of response. So it's like you're in my neighborhood, like you can afford to live here. You have access to my daughters who you may marry. And then you and obviously it's because they want to protect you know, white, they want to protect, you know, white, their white privilege by any means necessary. And they feel emboldened because ultimately they're protected. And it's what we've seen historically, unfortunately. Um, While semi-justice has been served there in one area, Rustin Chesky, the Kenosha officer who shot Jacob Blake, will not face discipline. The police officer has been found to have acted within the law and department policy. As you may recall, last August, Shesky fired seven shots at Blake's back as he walked away from the officer toward the parked vehicle where two of his kids were sitting. Blake was left paralyzed. And in the midst of the Derek Chauvin case, it's shocking to me when people are surprised that we're skeptical of justice being served in that blatantly egregious case. I mean, we don't see justice being served as often as it needs to be. It should be served every single time something crazy like this happens. But unfortunately, this story in particular is proof that justice isn't always served. Chief Daniel Miskin said Shesky acted within the law and was consistent with training, so he will not be subjected to discipline. Shesky is now back on the job, having returned from administrative leave on March 31st. So this guy wasn't even fired. He was on administrative leave this whole time. What the heezy? That's it. That's the question. Selena, Evan, what is your response to this? What message does this send to people of color about our lives and about people who are supposed to protect us? When police shoot and sometimes fatally kill black people, they face no discipline. They get a pat on the back. Sometimes they get a promotion. 
We've seen this time mm -hmm. and time again, where police officers, sometimes they resign or they leave, but they're hired at other departments and they continue to accelerate and excel in their career. Tupac said it best. Like he was like, cop shooter, use a hero. Like, you know, I can't repeat the explicit, but we've been saying this over and over again since the inception right. of police in this country. It is extremely disheartening that the, the the person, the cop that killed, I mean, excuse me, that shot Jacob Blake is back with no discipline. And the murderers of Breonna Taylor had no discipline. And George Zimmerman who killed Trayvon Martin had, there was no you know consequences at all. It's, we're tired of it. We're tired of it. That's why you have these protests. That's why you have these riots, because enough is enough. We, we will no longer sit back and let someone with a badge kill those in our communities. Yeah, uh, and I think that, yeah, it was very telling when the uh, supervising officer said that this is completely within policy. So that that's pretty much affirming that it is completely completely within policy to shoot someone in the back who is running away from you. So what that what that destroys is this narrative that the person has to be an immediate threat, right? That's what we keep hearing. We keep hearing the person's an immediate threat. You don't understand mm. this immediate threat of violence. That person's running away from you. Was the their back's gonna shoot you? I mean, it's like right. he's running away, and then, and like in the case of Toledo, his hands are up. What you can you can fire a gun like this? That's right. so, so. So my point is like it. It was never really about that. It was about someone with a preconceived notion, a devaluation of life. Okay, you did this thing wrong. Your life, your life isn't important enough anymore. It doesn't matter enough. I can shoot you because you have made this many mistakes that now your life really isn't worth anything. And I know I will not be uh, disciplined for it. And they were right. They were not. And coincidentally, it's always with brown or black people that it happens every single time. And yep. the part that makes me sick to my stomach is that those two kids were in the car. Like, I don't mean to always pull the mom card, but can you imagine the trauma that these kids have are gonna have to face their whole lives after witnessing this? And it's it's just, it just goes to show you like the inhumane treatment that black and brown people undergo in this country under the hands of, of police officials. Uh, yes. And so Addie Smith, left a comment via Facebook. Addie says, white people commit crimes and if they are arrested, they are not murdered. Definitely not yep. at the disproportionate rate of black and brown folks. So absolutely, Addie. And that's the argument. That's the issue that we're talking about now. In lighter news, you know, because I just got all that's worked up. transition, Karina. <laughs> I know, I don't even know how to do it, but Usher tried it. Usher tried it. Apparently, Usher was hanging out in Vegas doing his thing. <laughs> he went to a strip club and got called out for using Usher bucks. Uh, one of the dancers tweeted, ladies, what would you do if you danced all night for Usher? And he threw this. It was money with his face on it on like hundreds, twenties, and dollar bills. It's not funny, but I was cracking up because I'm like, oh, uh, Usher has some nerves. Uh, according to TMZ, though, the people in Usher's camp said that he did tip the girls who danced for him with real money uh, and that the Usher bucks weren't used for payment at all. It was more of a, like a marketing ploy that somebody in his camp, not Usher, left behind. Mm -hmm. Usher said, nope, not Harriet Tubman, me. Put me in my face on the dollar dollar bills, please. It was just, what a crazy story. <laughs> It's insane. Yeah, so I was actually 
on Clubhouse in a Clubhouse room with Usher and a few other celebrities. And he explained it. This is what Usher said. He said that he was using it, like Karina said, to promote his upcoming residency in Las Vegas. So it was a promotional tactic and that he made it sound like he was almost attacked by this woman. But I was like, I wasn't on stage. Okay, I had to just listen. But I was just like, Usher, if I just finished dancing hours, you're not paying me with these promotional monopoly money dollars. Like that's just not going down. Like I get the point you were trying to make, but you need to understand that these women are working. It is a hard work to be in heels for hours oh. on end dancing. Okay, that's the word. We, yeah. Let's not undervalue them. And then on top of that, what Usher was saying is that it's actually working in his benefit because number one, he has more exposure about the residency. And number two, he is, it looks like he's getting into the NFT space, which would allow mm -hmm. him to um, make money off of these bills now. So, and what they were saying is the young lady who received the Usher bucks, they're saying that that's more valuable than dollars because if they become NFTs. And I'm just like, look, Tony needs to pay her bills today, tonight. Mm, right, right, right. But you know what? No publicity is bad publicity. So whatever, Usher, do your thing. Uh, make it so, rain with some Usher bucks. Whatever you got to do. Fritz, Stanley Fritz has a comment. I know we want to get Evan to chime in. Stanley says, why y'all hating on Usher? You want to take that, Evan? I, I, I'm hating on the lady that is is tiring her i can't curse here her ankles off uh on the stage paying rent with usher bucks so yes i do i do i agree she needs to pay rent now now apparently as you mentioned that was put there but they were actually also paid in real money too but i i don't blame her for a moment thinking this is how i'm getting paid in like some monopoly money looking stuff no, no. right I, I i agree he tried it Lastly, <laughs> Kristen Clark, President Biden's nominee to uh, run the Justice Department Civil Rights Division, had to endure one of the most contentious confirmation hearings. Ridiculous even that I've ever witnessed. Tensions were really high to say the least. And it's important to note that she wants to invest in an additional $300 million for local law enforcement agencies and find common ground for police if confirmed. So she doesn't really subscribe to the whole idea that we should defund the police. And I think it's important to say that um, because it's proof that she's attempting to find a bipartisan middle ground somewhere. And still, Republicans are calling her radical, okay? Which led us to the most outrageous moment in the hearing that obviously went viral when Senator John Corning asked this foolishness right here. You seem to argue that African-Americans were genetically superior to uh, Caucasians. Is that correct? Um, no, Senator, um, that I believe you're referring to an op-ed that I wrote at the age of 19 about the bell curve theory, a racist book that equated DNA with genetics and race. What I was seeking to do was to hold up a mirror and put one racist theory alongside another to challenge people as to why we... Uh, were unwilling to wholly reject the, the racist theory that uh, defined the bell curve book. So this was, a, this was satire? Absolutely, Senator. Chill, that's a reach if I've ever seen one. Just trying to find something to discredit her. Stop it and zip it. And then you know Fox anchor uh, Tucker Carlson had to add his two cents saying, in a sane country, Kristen Clark should be under investigation by the Civil Rights Division, not running it.
Boy, bye. Selena, Evan, what do you, what do you say? Talk to me. First I, I of wanna, all, go ahead, Selena. Chris Zane bodied that response, and she made John Conyer, Conyer whoever his name is, the representative, the Conyer. senator, look so dumb. Like, you couldn't understand the context and the satire. This woman is so overly qualified for this position, Harvard grad, all of that. She deserves this. And they're doing any and everything to try to undercut her. And they look dumb because she checks off dumb. every single box plus one. Okay? If that wasn't the classiest clapback I've ever seen, I don't know what was. I absolutely loved it. Evan, you were going to say something. I'm sorry, before um, you were cut I, off. I want to know what what John Cornyn actually finds as comedy. I want to know what he actually laughs at. Because this man looks like he doesn't understand the concept of what leads to laughing, to what leads to comedy. Oh, he understands. Honestly, maybe it's both. Maybe he's dumb yeah. and he has no sense of humor. But he's like, so this was um satire. I'm like, yes. It's like the first time he's like, oh, this is where you apply that word satire. No, it's it's so obvious what she was doing. Exactly. Like she's saying, she's just trying to have, a, not just now have a clapback, but even when she wrote the piece, have a clapback saying, oh, you're, you're saying that you're judging uh, black people by these metrics. I'm going to throw some other metrics at you. The, the speed at which black kids crawl has been noted to exceed those. Like, it's clear this... There, there is no way this person is going to implement black supremacy. People are just trying to fight for equal rights here. It's amazing how many white people in power think that there's such a thing as a black supremacy movement coming when still we're seeing people get shot in the back, those officers getting reinstated. It's ridiculous. Way to bring it back for full circle, Evan. I agree. And I love how she so eloquently articulated that. I could never. I would have lost my mind, child. Uh, that is it for your news roundup. Selena, back to you, boo. Thank you so much, Karina. So next up in this segment, I'll give you a rundown of the stories this week that made me say, really? First off, your boy Chet Hanks is being sued by his ex-girlfriend for $1 million for abuse while he's promoting his white boy summer anthem. So you're probably asking, what is a white boy summer? Well, I'll give you a hint. It has nothing to do with the white boys, no, excuse me, white men terrorists and the rapid incline of mass shootings since the weather has warmed up. No, White Boy Summer is a slogan that Tom Hanks's son has coined and made a thing. Should we be surprised? No. Chet is notorious for having his handout waiting on a cookout invite that he will never get from Black Twitter. Tom needs to come get his son, really. And I just want to add this because I've been getting a lot of trolls. We dragged Chet Hanks a few weeks ago. And ever since I put that up on my Instagram, the trolls have been clapping back to support him, hence the evidence here. And I just want to say, keep it humming, keep it coming. We could use the fodder and the engagement, really. And another thing, this week, anti-trans bills move forward in Alabama, Arkansas, Arizona, Florida, North Dakota, and Texas. Now, these bills are invasive traumatizing and harmful to both cis and transgender children. They place bans on participation in youth sports or in gender affirming healthcare for minors and include curriculum bans, ID restrictions, and so much more. 
trigger no twitter was triggered and rightfully so with the proposed genitalia checks lack of health care and the ability of the state to essentially abduct children from their homes place parents in jail and have educational staff out them really as crazed as all of this sounds it doesn't compare to the absolute predatory behavior for some of the largest regressive think tanks in the country so let's continue to call these things out to advocate for those who cannot advocate for themselves and these children that deserve healthy and happy lives and another thing meek mills has gone off once again so there's a picture of meek mills with rappers like yogati and 21 savage and honestly after this next story about him that picture all makes sense so meek mills left a comment on the internet that said what is ph balance vomit emoji sounds like an excuse dot 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 so sometimes liking men is embarrassing really for those of you who also wanted an answer to this question ph is a measurement of how acidic or alkaline a substance is now the ph level of a woman's vagina whether it's acidic or basic plays an important part in the, in determining whether it's healthy basic seventh grade healthcare class information right well if you check out some of the answers to the rappers questions you will see a flurry of other adults pretty much telling on themselves men near and far assembled to timelines to discuss female hygiene and sexual standards which was a yawn for all of us because it is indeed a hot girl summer and we are not listening to men now lastly black lives matter co-founder patrice con colors is under attack after a new york post article revealed that she had spent 1.4 million dollars on los angeles property which is her third residence in the city and her fourth high-priced home overall now, in addition to the right wing and conservative outlets like the Post criticizing Patrice and questioning the director of the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation, um, a number of other people are also questioning, you know, how she got these funds and even calling her out. Like black sports journalist Jason Whitlock, he is actually accusing her and other Black Lives Matter founders of, and I quote, making millions of dollars off the backs of these dead black men who they wouldn't spit on if they were on fire and alive number one all right let's keep things in perspective since patrice launched the most prolific social justice movement of the 21st century she has become a target of white supremacy this is this latest case is nothing more than doxing by the conservative New York Post. Plus, Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation has made it clear that Patrice volunteers to serve as the executive director and she does not receive a salary or benefits. The organization has also said that she has received a total of $120,000 since the organization's inception in 2013 for duties such as being a spokesperson and engaging in uh, political educational work. After 2019, Patrice did not get a dollar from this organization. 
In fact, she makes money as a professor, as a TV producer. She had two book deals. She had a New York Times bestselling book and a YouTube deal. So these narratives about Patrice are being generated by the right wing. And we need to understand the difference because when we discredit Black women like this who are doing the work on the ground to make our lives safe, we discredit the entire movement and we cannot be silent. So do not be tricked and fooled. Read the facts and understand what's going on and the history behind white supremacy targeting leaders in the movement. They've done it before. They're going to do it again. Do not be tricked, really. And on that note, I'm going to throw it back to Katrina. Oh, Karina. I'm saying Katrina. To Karina to make it all make sense. So they are making make sense, Jesus. Uh, for what seems to be like the gazillionth time, Jennifer Lopez goes through yet another breakup, okay? This time with New York Yankee golden boy Alex Rodriguez. Apparently, he cheated on her. Uh, the audacity, it's the audacity for me. Cause you gotta be an imbecile to cheat on 50 going out 25 successful, beautiful Jennifer Lopez, okay? And I'll be honest, I never loved A-Rod, okay? One, he ain't that pleasing to the eye. That was, uh, that was shallow, so I'ma just move on from that. But two, he's been a liar. Remember that time he kept denying that he used steroids for like two years and then eventually got caught? Yeah, talking about he thought the doctor was shooting uh, vitamins up his butt instead of testosterone. Boy, stop. That should have been the main indicator for Jenny from the block. But alas, here we are. It's not her fault that she got cheated on. And full disclosure, I gotta be honest, I love J-Lo. For a long time, I thought I was J-Lo. Uh, so it pains me to see that she can't get her love life together. I blame this funny ass video of the presidential inauguration that went viral. Here it is. I just want to know if J-Lo and A-Rod still oh, together. No, nah, here you go. <laughs> Yo, don't start that shit. Don't get in trouble today. This guy don't quit. That's how you get in trouble all the damn I know, time. I know, That video was so funny. If that wasn't a foreshadowing, I don't know what was. But seriously though, the reason why this kills me and I'm like, make it make sense, Lord is because it emphasizes this notion or stereotype that women can't have it all. A successful career, a personal life that's thriving. We want it all, we deserve it all, and we can have it all. Hallelujah, and in Jesus' name, amen. J-Lo, there are more fish in the sea, boo-boo kitty. If at first you don't succeed, dust yourself off and try again. And as always, don't be fooled by the rocks that she got. She's still, she's still Jenny from the block. Yes. All right. Make it make sense. Selena, back to you. Karina, you made it all make sense. Thank you so much. And yes, JLo, we are praying for you, girl. You're going to find love and it's going to be real one day. Now, just to switch gears, we are going to delve into our main topic with our featured guests for the remainder of this show. We know that another American city is in uproar following another killing of a black man by a police officer. This time his name was Dante Wright and he was a 20 year old father who was shot by officer Kimberly Potter, a white woman, during a traffic stop and attempted arrest for an outstanding warrant in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota. After a brief struggle with officers, Wright was shot and then drove off, but his vehicle crashed and he was pronounced dead on the scene. Now, the officer has said that she meant to grab her taser because in the video we saw her say taser, taser, but then she grabbed her Glock and shot him. Two days later, the officer and the Brooklyn Center Police Chief, Tim Gannon, resigned and Potter was arrested and charged with second degree manslaughter and then released on a $100,000 bail. 
Now, this shooting sparked protests in Brooklyn Center and renewed ongoing demonstrations against police brutality in the Minneapolis-St. Paul metropolitan area. Demonstrations have also spread to cities across the country. Even U.S. Rep. Auntie Maxine, a.k.a. Maxine Waters, she showed up to one of the anti-police brutality protests in Brooklyn Center on Saturday evening, saying demonstrators need to, and I quote, stay on the street, demanding justice until police reform becomes a reality. But in midst of the burst of protests, the vows for change and pleas for calm, a family is grieving the loss of a loved one. Uh, I watched a video from Dante's aunt where she expressed the pain that they are feeling. Um, so, you know, it, it's it's a lot to bear. A, a life was lost and that's what we want to talk about. So joining us to unpack the police killing of Dante Wright and the next steps in the fight for police reform, we're joined by Paige Ingram, who is a Brooklyn Center-based organizer, strategist, curator, and artist active in the movement for racial and gender justice. Thank you for being here with us, Paige. Thank you for having me. I have been in the background appreciating every bit of this show. And this is what I didn't even know I needed right now. So thank you for having me on. Oh, no, we appreciate your time and also the work you're doing. Um, I want to start by, you know, I, I read reports that over 100 protesters were arrested Friday. I'm not sure if and how many were arrested Saturday. What is the current climate in Minneapolis and in Brooklyn Center right now? Well, I think that we are a community that has been um, experiencing tragedy after tragedy. We are we we are in a state of of trauma. We are in a state of frustration. And I think increasingly um folks are recognizing that um that it's going to take a sustained movement. Um it's gonna take organization. It's going to take a pro prolonged commitment to being on the streets um in order uh to really manifest the types of communities that we actually want to live in and that simply the reforms, um, the gestures, they're just not working um, and they haven't been working. Um, and this isn't the first um, shooting of, a, of, of, of unarmed people in Brooklyn Center, which is um, a small suburb that is over-policed um, and for the most part a Black brown um, and Asian working class to poor community um, that I happen to be from, um, live in. Um, and it's, it's, it's hard to see. We're, we're still in the middle of a trial from last summer and, and, and here we are back at yeah. it again. So Marie Johnson left a comment via Facebook. Marie says, Potter's oops excuse is a lie and absolutely unacceptable. I think we all agree with that sentiment. Paige, I'm so glad that you brought up just the sentiment and the history of Brooklyn Center because I was doing some reading and I read that in this eight mile city, a number of fixtures were named after Earl Brown, who was a well-known figure, sheriff, and some historians, some historians say a KKK member. What role does the history of racism in Brooklyn Center play in the current protests against the killing of Dante Wright? I'm happy to talk about that for sure because um, 
I've been at this for a long time. Um, I was on the front lines throughout um, throughout the protests last year and have been active in the movement, but there is something that's very different about Brooklyn Center. Brooklyn Center is an eight mile suburb. Um, this is a place where a lot of folks thought that they were going to escape um, escape violence, escape, uh, escape over policing in, in urban areas and go to the suburbs and be able to find some sort of um, solace and normalcy and safety. Um, but the reality is that's, that is absolutely not the case. Um, not to mention the fact that, uh, you know, to be real, like Bro Brooklyn Center among, among the other outer ring suburbs has this reputation for being like this, um, this bad place because there's just so many black people because, um, it's a it, it's a neighborhood that is in fact it's it's a city that has the most renters per capita in the entire state, and so there has always been an an, an underpinning um, of racism. Uh, it's it's highly known that 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 our city is highly policed, and also I think there there's been just generally divestment or a lack of interest in addressing policing um, in, in, in these suburbs that have more black people in them um, in terms of percentage uh, of the population than, than the cities that we're fighting in as well. So this is an opportunity for us to really take a look at what the suburban experience can look like for, for a lot of people that look like us. And that is dramatically different than I think that the narrative that we have about what um, what the suburbs look like, um, the ways that police um, operate with within those places. Um, and so, it's, for me, it's just um, it's 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 an opportunity to to really grow this movement that we're in, and to think differently about the people who we need to bring along um, towards towards getting us free. Yeah, absolutely. So. Uh, Cinnamon K. Carswell left a comment via Facebook a few minutes ago. Cinnamon says, no one values Black lives. On that note, I want to throw it to Karina because I know you also had a question or a comment for Paige. Oh, Karina, I think you're on mute. Okay. <laughs> Paige, again, thank you so much for being with us. Um, I did want to know, you know, because this case... I'm in Texas now, and this case reminds me a lot about the case that happened here with Botham John, uh, because both officers claim to have made a mistake. In John's case, the female officer uh, claims to have accidentally walked into another person's apartment thinking it was her own, shot and killed this man who was just sitting in his couch. This seems very similar to me. Uh, there are people who say that allocating more funds to the police in order to address their issues with mental health or being overworked and putting more police officers on the ground is the better solution here. What do you say to those people? Do you think that that's a viable solution? Um, are you doing some work towards that or um, what do you say to those people in general? Um, well, I think first of all, I just want to say that in terms of my folks and the people that I that I speak to um, and 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 my neighbors, we're not believing for a second um, this whole oops, right? Like we we have seen it again and again. It's um, oops, I thought my oops, I thought that it was somebody else. Oops, I didn't know that anybody was home. Oops, I thought you were somebody else. Um, and I think 
Minnesota is a unique place. This, this is our fourth high profile case um, in the, since 2016. The, the, the police, Minneapolis Police Department, but also across the state, they have been trained and trained and trained. Um, Minnesota is, is, is viewed as a beacon of, um, of, of liberalism, a place that is highly democratic for the most part in terms of our party affiliation, a place that, um, that, that politicians listen and, and, and respond accordingly. And yet, here we are again. Um, so I think that folks are starting to realize and, and ask the question, to what end do we continue doing reforms before we recognize that they simply do not work? This is a much deeper structural issue. This is about power. This is about, uh, this is about trust. And this is about simply recognizing that this is an institution that is actually not serving our communities in, in the ways that we have been conditioned to believe, in the ways that we, that we are promised from elementary school when police officers visit our, visit our classrooms and tell mm -hmm. us that they're there to make our lives better. The, the contrast between that and the lived reality is so stark. Um, and folks have really had enough. I can just say from my vantage point, I'm, I, I am an unapologetic abolitionist. Um, I believe, I, and I, I, I believe in the movement towards, it's not just about removing the institution of policing. It's about investing in institutions in vet, that, that are actually in place currently and creating and imagining new ways of living. Why do we believe that it's just the founders of America who were given permission to, ima to imagine what their lives mm. could be and what our cities can look like. Why can we not be able to do the same things? And so to me, abolition is liberatory for everyone involved. Paige, I'm so glad that you brought up abolition and the fight to abolish police. Uh, a lot of us are just familiarizing our, ourselves with the slogan or the term defund the police. Can you actually talk about the difference between the two? And when you say abolish police, what is what does that what does a world or a country without police look like to you? Yeah, I think after the summer or during the summertime, um, there was so much movement and excitement around the notion of of abolishing police. Um, we had we had several members of the Minneapolis City Council that said very publicly in front of thousands of people in a park that, um, that they recognize that, uh, that reforms don't work and that we need to create institutions for community safety. Um, I think that it, 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 in, in a sense, like this, this is an exercise that, that communities need to figure out for themselves, but we're not starting from scratch. The abolitionist movement has been around for an incredibly long time. And so there's an opportunity to, um, to, to think differently. Now, when it comes to defund the police, um, many, many journalists, many organizers, and just many people out there in the world um, were latching on to their own definitions and understandings about, about what that is. It was easier for a lot of people to digest the notion of we're just going to simply take some money away from the police departments. But 
um, for some, defund the police is not the ends, but a means towards abolition. We're not we're we're not advocating that uh, that in any way, shape, or form, our government is prepared to just uh, by the snap of a finger get rid of the police and then move on to 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 something else. But if we if if we cannot invest in the meantime um, for, for in the name of community care towards social workers, uh, addressing house, housing and transportation insecurities, healthcare, getting our basic needs met. That is how we actually get into a place of posturing um, around police abolition. And that, and, and, and that is what uh, the defund police campaigns have been about. We have these budget hearings. Take this money out. Stop. Stop putting money towards community policing. It doesn't work. And let's try something new and different and see what happens. And we believe that when we actually put our money where our mouth is in terms of actually claiming that we care versus seeing in policy and through our dollars that we do care for our neighbors, that's where the transformation happens. Evan? Yeah, I agree. You can't really reform an organization that doesn't believe it needs to be reformed. The, the police don't think they need to change. For the most part, I, I, have, I, have, I have yet to really see, I mean, maybe you can find a few uh, precincts here and there across the entire nation, but for the most part, I, I, I rarely see police officers say, this is a turning point for us. We must change. We have erred. Like, you just don't hear that. So, how are you really going to implement reforms to a group that doesn't believe that, that that believes the old system was perfectly fine as it is? Even if you implement those reforms, the people aren't going to want to use them. You see it all the times where everybody thought body cameras would help. It's a good idea, but then people just turn them off half the time, or they leave them on, and the cameras on. We see everything, and then the the supervisors and the courts say, "Yeah, no problem there." So it, it, it needs to be revamped from the ground up. And I agree that starts with, I, I think defund, a lot of people look at defund and they don't see the rest of it. It's a defund and then reallocate. You know, you're taking funds away and then you're allocating it, as Paige mentioned, back into communities, back into other, other institutions that will create a, just a healthier, safer community environment that at gradually needs less and less police involvement to the point where hopefully one day public safety alone will look completely different. So Kim Hayes, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> uh, real quick, Karina, Kim Hayes left a comment as well via Facebook. She says police officers carry their unconscious bias to work like everyone else. Exactly. But and the only thing is police officers are the only people in our country that have license to take away our freedom and kill. Karina? Um, thank you. That was super powerful. I, I had to stop for a second there. But uh, I know um, to, to Evan's point, um, you're raising money for the schools and social workers uh, for the well-being of the community at large, Page out there in Brooklyn Center, which I think is amazing. Um, what is the long-term goal there? Because ultimately, we have no control of what the police does and how they act, even if we're trying to reinvest or reallocate money uh, into the community. So how is this going to look like logistically or what's the vision behind it? Well, in, t in terms of, um, in terms of the fundraiser, like 
we we are simply i think that 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 the pandemic i think that that what happened last summer folks are invested in community care and taking care of each other in ways that we just like simply haven't experienced before um as an abolitionist and so so often we are told that uh or that we tell people that there are people that actually know what's what's needed for um for the community and i think that social workers and youth the 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 people that that they serve they really know what what they need and so what we're hoping to do with this fund um which we 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 just kind of are, are developing a project now and the project is called we got us brooklyn center um community care we're we're, we're trying to eliminate the red tape that so many of these social workers have in terms of being able to directly support um, the people that, um, that that they are in service of, it it there in, in some ways, um, even even in like the most liberal institutions, it's simply impossible for for people that are doing work like social work to be able to really get to the root of what is of what's needed to care for folks, and instead we're just putting band aids on things and. Mm -hmm. And this is this is not meant to be um, to be a, a permanent solution, um, but rather we're just trying we're trying to encourage people to think about alternative ways to care for each other and alternative economies to build. Um, all all the while we are working towards something bigger that will just that that will just take time um, to get people to actually believe. Um, something that folks might feel is good in theory in terms of abolition, but they feel like it's impossible. And what we're saying is that throughout U.S. history, every day people have regularly accomplished impossible things, abolishing slavery, voting rights, a 40-hour work week in a weekend. These things, these concepts were simply viewed as impossible until people organized and made these things happen. So why not abolition? Thank so you for the right you're doing, by the way. But go ahead, Selena. I'm sorry. No, no, thank you. To Karina's point, um, the work you're doing on the ground is phenomenal. Gregory Dancy left a comment via Facebook saying, disproportionately killing minorities by police is racism. Any sort of proposal to give them more money to change is just an excuse for them to gain more power. Secondly, they should be held to a higher standard. Gregory, we could not agree more. Um, Paige, we know that your city right now is under fire, under a lot of scrutiny. We've seen this play out in cities across, um, you know, the country from Ferguson to, you know, cities in, uh, um, in um, Staten Island when Eric Gardner died. Right now, the spotlight is on Brooklyn Center. What would justice in your city look like for you? I think that we are really in a process of figuring that out. Um, or, organizers may may have their ideas, but we are really leaning leaning into speaking with the community to articulate what our demands are going to be. And I think that in in flashpoint moments like these, it's really easy to feel pressure to react, um, to just do rapid response, to speak on behalf of a community. And we are committed to doing something different than that. Of course, like there, there are demands that are very tangible right now. For example, there's an entire coalition 
that is at that's calling for the governor, for the mayor, for the police chief to stop what is called Operation Safety Net. This is this is um, what has been in place, um, a preemptive force that's been in place to respond to what could possibly happen as a result of the Derek Chauvin trial and put straight away into action in Brooklyn Center. That first night, um, I saw police using tactics that I have that I've never seen before in Minnesota and certainly would never expect um, from such a small police force. And this is this is an indication of of, of extensive training, um, not just within the state, but with military. I've seen I, I saw tactics that were used in Portland. These folks are th these folks have been preparing um, and anticipating the 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 worst from from protesters in the community and acted in, and acted in a way that was simply a disproportionate response and 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 then got incredibly defensive about it um, when when questioned by by local journalists and and community members and stakeholders. So this is a very tangible demand that folks um, that folks across community and organizations throughout the Twin Cities and throughout the state are are demanding because the tear gas, the rubber bullets, um, the flash the the flashbangs, the whole nine yards, all of these tactics that have been employed are causing harm not just to the protesters but to people who literally are living across the street yeah. um and in all of these surrounding areas that's that's another yeah. difference absolutely this is a highly residential area and folks are impacted and life still has to continue to go on for for, for people kids are still doing distance learning they didn't cancel school parents are still having to go to work um, and 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 they're not sleeping yeah. at night, and they're yeah. and, and and they're not mad at protesters. They they are angry with the police, and it's and the important way they're to, to recognize to that. Absolutely. So, Robert Bob Johnson left a comment via Facebook. He says there are two distinct philosophies in each community. In the white community, it's protect and serve, and in the black community, it's law and order. Uh, we mm. actually need to wrap this conversation page. Unfortunately. This is a topic that is ongoing and we'll have ongoing coverage here on Be Heard Talk. But what can we do um, in, to stand in solidarity with Brooklyn Center and support local organizers like yourself at this time? Uh, there, there are not a lack of organizations that are throwing down to support um, and meet the needs of the community from, um, from supplies, food, um, to to longer term structural projects um, and support projects like like the one that, that I'm doing, but I also think that it's important to really be answering the call to do to to do more where you're living. Join an organization. Commit not just to join, but to show up and be reliable. Um, allocate your funds literally every month. Um, to to organizations that, that are doing meaningful work on the ground. Um, every city has it. Um, and it doesn't have to be a formal organization. There are folks that are just gathering together. And you don't have and I, what I'm telling people is like you don't have to wait for a moment like this um, to look outward. 
Um, so as much as I want people to support my community, it's this is a call for folks to support their own communities for the long-term work because police is everywhere. We are swimming in white supremacy and there are dedicated people that have been spending at least the last five, six, seven years, um, and of course longer to dismantle these systems. And we need more we need more support and we need more bodies in the ground and we need more people that are committed to advocating um, to actually do something and not just continue to, to make empty calls for justice and, and, and show up with a sign every once in a while. Yeah. yeah. Well, Paige, thank you again for your activism and the organizing you're doing, um, you know, our, our prayers and thoughts to the activists on the ground. We know it's very dangerous. We know police are very hostile and militant. Um, so you guys are literally putting your bodies on the line for all of our freedoms. And we thank you for that page. Um, we actually are going to wrap today's show um, by going to our special rest in power segment. We know that New York rapper Black Rob, the hip hop icon, passed at the age of 51. He was famously known for his hit single, Whoa, from his bad boy days. His music and his energy will forever be felt. So we did just want to pay tribute to Black Rob. We also want to say, please support Be Her Talk by buying us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash Be Her Talk. Again, your support through a small donation will help us to continue to support and amplify the issues that you care about. I also want to thank everyone for chiming in and listening into Be Her Talk today. And of course, our correspondents, Karina and Evan, Phenomenal, great job. Thank you so much for adding so much value to these conversations that we had today. And also to the Be Her Talk team, make sure you check them out in the credits, the scrolling credits. We have a great phenomenal team working behind the scenes doing so much of the work. So again, guys, see you next Sunday. Take care.